We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you. You're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump, Jenna Ellis. Well, good morning. And we are a few days past the Speaker of the House uh, putting forward the impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden. And uh, the White House has, of course, come out and said that the media should just be going after Republicans, totally ignore everything that's going on. You know, there's nothing to see the man behind the curtain or behind the teleprompter, as it were. So, uh, you know, he's kind of the president of Oz anymore. Um, but some, uh, even Republicans, are saying that uh, maybe this impeachment inquiry uh, shouldn't happen. And one of those is actually uh, Senator Tommy Tuberville, uh, which is really interesting, but uh, he won't really have any involvement, of course, unless and until articles of impeachment are voted on in the House and then transferred over to the Senate for a full trial. And that has to come after an inquiry and after investigation. So uh, joining me now to talk about all this and more is Representative Mike Collins from the state of Georgia, which I would say is a great state of Georgia. But, uh, you know, some some people in that state, not so much anymore, but uh, you are one of them that is great from the state of Georgia, Mike Collins. So thanks so much. And before we get into some of the, the stuff going on in Georgia, let's talk about uh, impeachment. What is your uh, reaction and hope? for this impeachment inquiry? Well, I think it's good timing. I think it's a, it's, it's the right time. I mean, you think about it, Jenna. It, 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 we've all known that Joe Biden and his entire family is crooked. We, we've known that. You can see that by the way they live. And, and we also know the salaries that they made. And we also know Hunter Biden's uh, intellect. So we, we know that they're crooked, but there's a difference and, uh, and and knowing something and being able to prove it. And and I think now we are at the stage uh, to where we are gathering information and at such a fast pace that that proving part is going to be easier to, to take on. I mean, you think about it, the Republicans have only been in, in the majority for eight months. And uh, we really didn't get our committees put together until February. End of February was when we really started meeting and, you know, Comer and Jordan and, and Smith, they all did things right. They, they went out there and they played this as a game as they were going to have to take it to court to get the information that they needed. So they went out there and asked for the information politely, didn't get it, asked for the information again. And then they were able to go to court and start getting subpoenas. And I think once they were able to start getting subpoenas that these whistleblowers saw, wow, these people are serious. They can actually do this, and I won't be hung out to dry. And and I'm telling you, the floodgates are opening. Now we've got an impeachment inquiry. It doesn't mean that we're going to vote on impeachment. 
it means that our committees have the ability now to go out there and really dig in and demand information a whole lot quicker than what they've been able to get it. It's there. It's going to be amazing how many other people are drawn into this, how many Democrats know about this, and how many other people we're going to be able to draw into this net. And and I, I know we've got a few net naysayers that uh, even in the Republican Party on the on the House side, but uh, but Jenna, in my opinion, that's good. You know, if we were all like I am, I'm ready to vote on it right now. I'll impeach the guy tomorrow. But but if we've got four or five, which we do, five maybe six, that want a little more proof, well, they're going to get it, and they'll get it, and the American public will get it, and uh, and we'll be able to move forward with this. Yeah, and I think that that also shows that this isn't just a political exercise. It's not just political retribution, which is uh, and seems to be the Democrat talking point uh, to say, well, just because we went after Donald Trump and, and they're almost tacitly admitting that they just went after him for political retribution. And we all know that that wasn't grounded in fact or evidence. It was a sham yeah. uh, impeachment. And ultimately, President Trump was exonerated twice. But um, but to go where the facts and evidence show, which is what Speaker McCarthy has said, I've talked with uh, Representative um, Jim Jordan, also Mike Johnson, and, and they, like you, are, are saying, you know, this is something that has been flushed out over uh, the course of a few months. And that is a good thing. And I think with your explanation of, you know, where this has gone in a relatively short time, I think it answers the question that, uh, that frankly, a lot of listeners are asking me, you know, why did this take so long? But if you actually look at building a case, how these committees need to be formed, how subpoenas need to be issued, uh, this maybe conversely was actually a relatively short time frame. So, so looking at the Republican majority, which is slim, and looking at um, the time that you do have, how fast do you anticipate that Congress is going to be able to to answer, ask and answer some of these questions before putting this up for a vote on actual articles of impeachment? Yeah, that that part I don't have that answer to. But what I do know is that it, all of these committees have cranked up into overdrive now. And so, and that's what I was getting at. You know, a lot of it has to do with people that are willing to talk to you, too. And now that we have subpoena power, we don't care if they're willing to or not to. But we also have these whistleblowers that are coming forward at record pace. And uh, since they've gained confidence in the committee, it's just going to pick up faster and faster uh, speed. Um, so I, I, I would anticipate in short order that we should have enough evidence to lay out there to where the Senate can't say this is political because, I mean, Jenna, you're exactly right. The last thing you want to do is impeach on politics. Uh, you want to you impeach on evidence. And, and politics impeachment was Donald Trump. Now, you can go back and, and, and Nixon was on evidence. And, and that's where you want to impeach from. And, and when we get the evidence plain and clear that you can send it over to the Senate and they can't say anything but, oh, yeah, this doesn't look good, uh, instead of just you're playing politics, then you send it over there. Because, uh, you know, literally you only really got one one bite at the apple here. Right. And it is a very 
awesome power of of impeachment that is granted by the U.S. Constitution to the House of Representatives uh, that should not be a political exercise. And I'm talking with Congressman Mike Collins from the state of Georgia. And and I think a lot of people, including the media, um, whether they were obviously most of them against Trump, and now they're shifting to protect Biden. And in fact, um, he's the White House has even asked them to just go after Republicans and protect Joe Biden, which is a total political exercise, not actually fact finding or truth telling, which should be the hallmarks of journalism. Uh, but but it but is. looking, but, but Jenna, you know, um, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but 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 you know, I don't think that's going to help because even in recent polling. You know, what 61 percent of, of Americans believe that Joe Biden had something to do within his was involved in his son's business. And, and you've got over 42 percent now that are saying he did something illegally. So the, the floodgates are open and, and the tidal wave is coming. And, 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 and the media, whatever, they've always been in liberal media. They've always been in their camp. And, and we are breaking through that. And uh, it's uh, he's. I honestly believe it'll be his day's coming and it's going to be very soon. Yeah. And and I think you're right that the American people, regardless of, you know, what party they're affiliated with or what their political beliefs or persuasions are, um, evidence and fact is it just is what it is. And and it is so clearly undeniable when you continue to put uh, all of this together, that it's going to be very hard for the media to spin themselves into a pretzel and to try to continue to deny this. And they continue to pivot to say, well, there's not evidence. Well, there's not sufficient evidence. Well, there's not enough. And that, you know, they keep expanding um, the the parameters and the standard. But I think that that's really not going to work. And, um, and especially when you look at how unfavorable uh, Joe Biden has been throughout his his presidency. Um, he doesn't have a lot of support in terms of likability to begin with. Um, so it's not like a lot of people other than those who who need him are really going to yeah. have any sort of vested interest to defend him anyway. So how do you see no. that working yeah. with the other side of the aisle? I mean, you mentioned a couple, you know, maybe five or six on the Republican side. But are there any of your Democrat colleagues that are looking at this going, yeah, this, this kind of doesn't look good for my guy. Yeah, not everybody on the Democrat side is an AOC. Um, you know, they're, they're, I, I feel certain that, that is the evidence continues to pour out because a lot of them are quiet now. Uh, they're not saying anything. And I don't blame them. Uh, they're waiting to see just how much and what it looks like that comes out. But, you, you know, Jenna, you were talking about Joe Biden um, not being very likable. It's because he's a Manchurian candidate. You know, you take this this socialistic movement started with Barack Obama, when President Obama was in administration. And Hillary Clinton was supposed to be the nail in the coffin that was going to continue this out and finish off changing this country forever. But Donald Trump came along, changed that. And, and he gave people hope they could see that they could win. They got more than hope. They had evidence on how to provide for their families. Totally took it 180 degrees from the way it was supposed to go. So when what did they need? They needed somebody that they could control, and uh, and that's where Joe Biden came in. And and he, he he's not pulling. You all know he's not in control. He doesn't have enough. 
he, he, he's not there. And uh, so he's a mention. Nobody has to like him. They don't care about that. What they care about is making sure that at the end of the day, they browbeat every American in this country to the point to where you say, man, just do whatever you're going to do. Just leave me and my family alone. And then they got us. And, and they will have their agenda. So it's time to stand up. I, I, I don't like the guy. Everybody knows he's a crook. We'll make sure at the end of the day that we show that the evidence comes out, and we will impeach this sorry rascal. Well, I was man, say you know, and, else, and, but I had to change that. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, I, I think everybody got the direction you were going, and and um, and, and affirms <laughs> you in that sentiment. Um, but last question I have for you, and I know that you're uh, you're headed off to a, a committee meeting here, but um, you know, being from the state of Georgia as well, and looking at how the left yeah. is trying to just tear down and weaponize institutions of government, um, what are your thoughts about what's going on in Georgia with this indictment, and what um, local legislators are actually doing on the ground to to perhaps open yeah. up their own inquiry? Well, you know, Jenna, it's just that. It- Fannie Willis's evidence of another rogue DA that's been funded, put out there, you know, she is totally political. We all know she has further political aspirations. She's just trying to get her name ID up, which she's been able to do. But And, and I know there's been uh, – and, and, and I'm federal now, not state. But there has been a, a push with uh, within the, the state legislature to get a special session going. And that takes three-fifths of the of, – of, the House and, and the Senate, they don't have that. They don't have three-fifths. And besides that, they go into session in January. So if they were even able to put that together, you're talking the end of December, January. So regular order will be in. They'll have a, a regular session starting in January, and they can address that just as quick. And, uh, you know, and, and, and the other thing is um, uh, the – heck, I have lost my train of thought now. Oh, oh, the other okay. is that commission that they put together, um, which oh, starts okay. in October, and and they'll they'll start looking at that. Okay. And, well, then, and, yeah. But, so but then, here you're talking about months before they can actually get somebody out. So. Right. So so that that, that commission that may or may not is be an not option. a very fast approach. Well. Well, uh, we'll see how this continues to progress, but uh, really appreciate your time here. Uh, Representative Mike Collins from the great state of Georgia, we will be praying for that inquiry uh, so that uh, you all will go where the facts and evidence lead with uh, not regarding politics, but uh, regarding the law, the Constitution, and upholding your oath of office. So thank you for everything that you are doing uh, in Congress and out of the great state of Georgia. We're praying for you. Thank you so much. And we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Did you know that every day, Preborn's network of clinics experiences 200 miracles? How? Preborn gives women with unplanned pregnancies a window into their womb through free ultrasounds, introducing them to the beautiful life growing inside. Once she meets her child inside her womb and hears their heartbeat, the chance of her baby's life doubles. Because of the generosity of you and me who donate just $28 to sponsor an ultrasound, Preborn can do this. 
The cost of a dinner can save a life, the most worthwhile investment you can make. All gifts are tax deductible and go entirely to saving babies. Someday you may meet a baby that you rescued and you can give them a hug. Or maybe they'll give you a hug. Maybe they'll even save your life as they grow and pursue meaningful careers. One thing is for sure, you will never regret saving a child's life because life is a miracle. Please donate your best gift today. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back. And we've been talking about the impeachment inquiry or as the Democrats are suggesting that it is a witch hunt. <laughs> and I found that honestly patently offensive given uh, what all of us have gone through, uh, all of us in America, but specifically those of us who were actually uh, there with President Trump during the actual impeachment uh, witch hunts. And that includes my good friend Hogan Gidley, who was in the White House press secretary's office during the the first impeachment, and he is now a senior communications advisor for the America First Policy Institute. And Hogan, um, I just had to laugh at Chuck Schumer saying that. I mean, this is just so preposterous that somehow all of this evidence against Joe Biden is a witch hunt, but they were perfectly within the bounds of the U.S. Constitution to go after President Trump twice. Yeah, not to mention the fact, Jenna, and thanks for having me on, uh, it, it, it is it boggles my mind, the irony here, where the Trump impeachment was about a phone call where he asks Zelensky about looking into Biden corruption. The Biden impeachment, the inquiry, is about the actual corruption the Biden family was engaged in that Trump was asking about. So Trump gets attacked for asking the question, but Biden doesn't get in trouble. It's a witch hunt for doing the thing. It's absolutely insane. And we know the stats. I know you've gone over them, 20-plus shell companies, 20-plus million dollars to the Bidens, 150 to 200 suspicious activity reports, uh, fake uh, email accounts uh, that went directly to, to Joe Biden, the WhatsApp messages from Hunter to Chinese officials saying, hey, daddy's right here, give me my money, uh, not to mention the text to his own daughter saying, hey, look, I don't want you to have to pay for the family like I did, 10% for the big guy, of course, all of these things point to a direct correlation between Hunter's business dealings and President Biden. The phone calls, 20 phone calls into these business meetings. And remember, Hunter was overseas at the time So for, for several of these calls. So for him to make these calls, Joe Biden, it would have to be 2, 3 in the morning. Also, sitting down to dinner at Cafe Milano with your son while he's talking to business officials from foreign countries, including the mayor of Moscow, yeah, where he got $3 million. Like, it's so insane. And what's even more infuriating as the press continues to cover this up is what they want you to believe is simultaneously Joe Biden is the most caring, most loving, most involved father in the history of fathers. Also, he had no idea about anything his son was doing professionally. Which is it? He obviously is involved in his son's life. He talks about it all the time. He knew about this. And you can't tell me for one minute, this is probably the, I got more to say, but I'm going to end on this one. You can't tell me for one minute, just knowing Joe Biden like we do, you're telling me on his face 
this guy who's been a public servant for this long has all this money to buy these houses. It seems weird for, for a congressman and a senator. But you can't tell me on its face, it doesn't strike you as odd, that Joe Biden, knowing we know who he is at this point, how he operates, you're telling me he's fine letting his brother and his son cash in on the only thing Joe Biden has, by the way, his name, and they can rake in millions upon millions of dollars, but Joe doesn't get any of it. He's comfortable being old Scranton Joe, old middle-class Joe. Hey, guys, you can use and abuse my name. It's fine. You guys get rich off of it. I'm just going to sit here and languish in my little Senate salary and my, my congressional salary and go from there. Give me a break. The problem <laughs> well, here is the American people need to understand, Jenna, you got to bring them along on this because the bar for us as Republicans in the media, way higher than obviously what the left gets. They can just make the claim with no, no evidence whatsoever. I, I'm looking at you, Adam Schiff, and they'll just run with it as fact. We have to really bring the American people along here, and that means going into the districts, having conversations with constituents, letting them understand the severity of the accusations and of the evidence that they've compiled. And I don't know, it's going to take a while. It's not going to be overnight, but they've got to do it. Really great point, uh, Hogan Gidley, that the, the media here is obviously going to be uh, against the truth and the facts and against the impeachment inquiry. And in fact, the White House is even openly asking them to be, I mean, this is how blatantly uh, they are trying to manipulate the media. And and so it is incumbent upon Republicans to meet that higher standard. And for every conservative, regardless of party affiliation, regardless of who you support in the GOP primary, I mean, you know, none of that for this purpose actually matters. It matters to get to the truth and it matters to get to the facts and not allow the spin from the mainstream media. And so you were in the press secretary's office uh, during the first Trump impeachment um, what was that like in, in terms of dealing with a very hostile media? And how is the White House preparing for this when obviously they're going to have the entirely inverse experience, uh, experience where they're going to deal with a very friendly media? But kind of take us behind the scenes of, of what goes on uh, in the White House with something like this. Sure. Um, and, and you're right to point this out because the, the dynamic here is obvious. So when... We were battling with the press. It seemed like every time we stepped into that briefing room, it was filled with reporters who were against us for, for whatever reason, uh, their bias, their own anger at, at Trump upsetting, um, you know, the, the, the elite power on things, whatever it was. They were against us at every turn. And so we had to fight to get information out. We had to fight to stop bad information from getting out that wasn't true. And we go on the record. and They didn't care. They used some shadowy shady source instead of using our on-the-record quote all the time. In addition, that room was filled with people who save a couple of networks, Fox and, and, and Newsmax, asking some legitimate questions. Everyone else is hostile. Now the dynamic is the exact opposite. Farid Jean-Pierre is the press secretary. It seems as though every other reporter in that room serves as their deputy. They just go out and parrot whatever she says, and I guess yesterday when she was asked a question as she's walking out of the room about Hunter and Joe Biden, what shocked me about that wasn't the question. It wasn't that Corinne Jean-Pierre walked out. It was that only one reporter 
was asking that question as she walked off stage. Only one reporter was curious enough to find out the linkage, if there is any, to talk about it. It just blows my mind. And the you know media bias occurs in two ways. It's what they cover and how they cover it. So if they're not covering uh, this information, the American people don't know about it. If they cover it and say, hey, all this Hunter Biden stuff, look, there's nothing there, no evidence, then that's what the American people are going to hear. That's where the bias comes into play. And that's what's so frustrating for someone like me, because from June 8th to July 18th, 527 minutes from the legacy media dedicated to Donald Trump and indictments, zero minutes to Hunter and Joe. That is absolutely a dereliction of duty. Horrible performance by the press, and there's a reason their popularity sits somewhere between Congress and COVID. <laughs> yeah, and and it is so true that the court of public opinion and what the media shapes is what the public perceives as important yep. and going on. And so if they're just ignoring this out of hand and saying, ah, okay, you know, this little impeachment, whatever. And even as members of Congress have been trying to talk about this since the Republicans took the majority uh, back in January, and yet they this is so completely opposite to how the media treated uh, Donald Trump. And, you know, as, as as a member of the legal team, then I remember I was I was doing seventeen plus hits on media a day, uh, just to to try to get the good, correct, accurate information out there um, right. about what was going on with the impeachment because it was wall to wall coverage. It was like this was the biggest thing to ever happen in the history of America, according to the left wing media, and they're treating this so completely opposite, and they're focusing only on all four of these ridiculous indictments against Donald Trump. That's what they're focusing on. It's always get Trump and let's just pretend nothing is ever going on with Joe Biden. That's how they're lying about how, oh, Obama never had a scandal in his eight years. What? Because they didn't cover anything. Well, just the tan suit. That was the only scandal yeah. <laughs> they ever talked about was he wore a khaki Which, suit one time. And they're well, like, let's oh, my be honest, gosh, is you, this even you a real and thing? Me, Let's be honest, you and me, as as fashionistas, if I can put you in that category, because you were always very well-dressed, that was a scandal. So let's just get that on the record. <laughs> but yeah. Well, it's a scandal when he wore it, because, you know, either you or I would wear it better, but that's not the point. The, <laughs> so true. the point is, the, the media, as you just said, they covered up all kinds of things from, you know, the, the, the Fast and the Furious, Benghazi, et cetera, et cetera, all the issues that that the the Biden administration uh, and, and and Obama had at their time were, were problematic and they didn't want to cover it. it it was almost as though news reporting and or comedy died when when Barack Obama was president because they just refused to cover things that would dare dent um Barack Obama's legacy and they continue that through today they have no loyalty to Joe Biden i, I think the dam's beginning to crack a little bit uh, and I don't know where it goes for him, but at the end of the day, they will circle the wagons for for Joe Biden. I mean, after all, what is it, 85, 93% of the White House press corps votes Democrats. So, you know, their their interests are being protected uh, and their opponents are being prosecuted. Uh, and so it's kind of a two-pronged approach. As you said, they get Trump, they stop attacks on Biden. That's just the way it goes. And look, I don't know where the media is going here. But I used to be a journalist way back in the early 2000s before I went to work for Mike Huckabee when he was governor. If you had called me and said, hey, I got emails here from Dr. Fauci colluding 
with the, the, the Wuhan lab folks about uh, gain-of-function research. Hey, hey, uh, my name's James O'Keefe. I've got hidden video here of, of uh, big pharma people saying they're not testing these things right or they're coming after you. I, I, got, I got hidden video here of, of three-letter agencies going after folks. I got Twitter files here, emails showing collusion between the government uh, and big tech. Uh, look, I, I got all this laptop information, terabytes of information of, of Hunter and Joe working together. If you'd have told me that, I'd have, run, I'd have verified it and run it on the news like in a loop. Because that was the story. That, that's the curiosity of any honest reporter. These people just refuse to acknowledge what's actually in front of them. And when it does finally get verified after they said none of it was real, none of it was true, they can't then go on and say, hey, we were wrong. They can't cover it at all because they've been saying this whole time it was debunked. It wasn't real. It was fake. So they put themselves in a box. Well, I would say they put themselves in a box. They would put themselves in a protective posture because they don't care. And by the way, the one word we need to be focused on moving into this next year uh, uh, for elections is accountability. We know the people who've lied to Congress. We know the people who've broken the rules. We know the reporters who've lied. We know the reporters who've gotten it wrong. Is there any accountability for any of these elites ever? I think the American people are frustrated by the fact that if you like the wrong tweet or download the wrong podcast or attend the wrong speech, the government's coming after you. They're putting you in jail for standing outside of a pro-life clinic, a pro-abortion clinic and, and, and standing up for life. You care about your child's education? You ask about them trying to trans your kid behind your back? You're going to jail. I think the American people are furious at that. And the more we discuss the accountability here for our elites, for our political betters, I think it's a good place for us to be in from a political standpoint, and I would argue from a legal standpoint as well. Yeah, and I would agree with that. Uh, Hogan Gidley is the senior communications advisor for the America First Policy Institute, uh, former press secretary with uh, Donald Trump's administration in that uh, press secretary's office. And you know, th- this is is such a great point as well that this is much bigger than a GOP primary. It's one. It's much bigger than yes. one election. This is about the left attempting to tear down the institutions of government to attack their political opponents and to completely insulate themselves from accountability. And I genuinely think that regardless of you know all of the other points that we could, of course, get into on the differences between, you know, any of the GOP candidates running for president. I think the first person who actually steps out there and instead of this back and forth between, you know, Trump and DeSantis attacking each other, I think that the first person who's willing to step up and say, listen, accountability is the key here and and, and I don't care about the rest, is going to win a lot of people uh, into their camp. Because I think this you're absolutely right that this is the number one thing. Um, besides, you know, of course, there's the economy, there's, you know, life oh, issues. Sure. But in terms of politics, this is the number one thing that Americans are so frustrated about is that they they know that the weaponization is coming after them as well. I mean, this is much bigger than just attacking Trump. This is about attacking anyone who says anything against the regime. And so for people who are uh, who are wanting the truth, um, besides obviously listening to this great network and, and our program, yeah, so right. many people 
um, ask me, you know, well, where do we get the truth? What outlets can we trust? What is your advice for people who actually who are looking at mainstream media and thinking this is so frustrating? Uh, where can they vet good alternative sources or how can they do that? Uh, that's always such an interesting question. And I get it all the time because, you know, the, the left is so much different than the right in this vein, because we're, we're by our nature individualistic, um, you, you know, and we love and embrace the Constitution. And, and the Constitution is a good document. It's a wonderful document. It's lasted longer than any other nation's Constitution in large measure because it gives us the right to be left alone. But the team that wants to win is always going to beat the team that wants to be left alone. So the left circles the wagons, and they parrot the same information. You're hearing no evidence against Joe Biden, no evidence against Hunter Biden. It, it's something they use. Republicans don't have that. We don't talk that way because we want to find out for ourselves, right? We don't trust necessarily these government agencies or these entities telling us something we want to find it out for ourselves there are a lot of good places to go i would argue your show is one of those places of course but but any any right-leaning local radio is going to have to put in the time remember rush limbaugh once said um uh, you know i got to meet him in the white house and have several in-depth conversations and he's just so brilliant and and so missed that radio is is a thinking man's game whereas tv is emotion because you can see and feel the images. But on radio, there's a reason leftist radio organizations typically fail, because there's no emotion in it, and they thrive off emotion. You have to think yourself uh, through a lot of the news stories you hear, whether they're true or not, by gathering the information and putting it in your brain and processing it and figuring, figuring out what's right and what's wrong. And the ways to do that, I think, are more local TV, uh, although they're wildly liberal too, uh, but local radio, places like that where you can actually kind of more easily fact check. If it's local and it's in your city, there's a, a, a much more likely chance that you'll find the truth out because it is closer to home. Huckabee used to tell me all the time, the more local the government, the easier it is to effectuate change. The same thing applies to the media. The more local the media, the easier it is to, for you to effectuate change. Now, you're national, you're all over the country, but I'm just saying – you have a local tone, you have a local concept going on because you care about your listeners, you care about this country, so you're more involved in that way. And I think a lot of right-leaning hosts are. So for me, there are a lot of outlets I read and a lot of outlets I check in on, but I, I still say local is king. Mm-hmm. That's really well said, and I'm I, I do, I'm so jealous that you got to meet Rush Limbaugh. That is there's just the coolest thing ever, But uh, and he is really, really I- missed. And, um, you know, but I, I think that that, that is the, a great response. And this is exactly why I have always loved radio more than television for exactly that reason. And you get longer segments. You actually get to dive into issues. You can articulate things instead of just having, you know, 30 seconds on, you know, Sean Hannity's program where uh, right, you, know, you can right. maybe say one or two top level talking points. But it is all about the images and it's all about this kind of rapid pace. Um, sort of uh, information that that really isn't digesting the fuller issue, and and that's really where conservatives and conservative thought really reigns supreme. And we show from a worldview, rational, logical 
um, argumentation perspective that the ideas and the values of the biblical Christian worldview are obviously far superior and mirror reality way more than the leftist ideas. They thrive on just these ridiculous talking points that aren't challenged because they don't have time on the airwaves. And like you said, Hogan, I mean, I read everything because I want to know what the left is saying so that we can rebut it. Um, But there are very, very few sources that I actually trust and that I actually listen to um, to to actually give me information that I'll take as a as a learning opportunity instead of, okay, I'm just reading this with a high level of skepticism. Um, so so really appreciate your comments on this. We're already out of time, and, and I just love having you on the program. We need to do this more often because you, like me, love to rant, and radio is such a great format for that. But where can people uh, find you and the America First Policy Institute, the great work you do? AmericaFirstPolicy.com, AmericaFirstPolicy.com, and all of my social medias are the same, at J. Hogan Gidley, at J. Hogan Gidley. You can find some information out there. Truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back. And it was such a great segment with Hogan Gidley. And I I loved his admonition uh, to always be concerned about what sources you are looking at and you are uh, ingesting in terms of your own repertoire of media. Because I think that there is such a um, an almost tacit way that... A lot of us um, just simply react to media and we just let the the news feed, if we're on a social media app, uh, just kind of scroll past and, and we end up being passive consumers instead of intentional consumers of media and content, whether that's political content or anything else. We need to always live intentionally. And and I do personally intentionally read sources that I completely disagree with. And the reason for that is because I always want to have a response. I want to know what's going on in the world, not just in politics, but in uh, every aspect of life and culture in America, uh, primarily, obviously, and then also in uh, world politics so that I can respond with the Christian worldview and with the truth and have an informed opinion and um, know what what's just going on. Because the entire council of scripture and the council of God tells us how to live Christianly, regardless in what uh, age in society or what nation or what government system or whatever a sin problem specifically is going on in our current moment that we find ourselves in because the sin problem of the world is not going away until Jesus returns and the new heaven and new earth as uh, forecast in the book of Revelation um, ultimately happens. And and of course, I am a, um, a pre-trib dispensationalist um, in terms of my eschatology. And, um, and so that's the perspective uh, transparently that I'm coming from with respect to the end times. And the end of all things is how my pastor would uh, would talk about that and would say that we are living 
in the last days and to have the expectation that Christ can return at any moment um, because of the prophecies in Scripture that have been fulfilled, because of where we find ourselves in this current moment in history or his story, we need to be anticipating that our Savior could return literally at any moment and live in light of eternity. And that is always hopeful to me when I'm looking at everything that is going on wrong in the world, the the weaponization of government, the the political controversies, the uh, just absolute debauchery and disgustingness, um, if that's a word, disgustingness. Uh, that is going on in our culture. Um, I, I was a few friends of mine just yesterday were were sending me some pictures of um, and some articles of some things that were going on um, within the whole transgender movement. There's now a, um, a a drag queen that has been hired at some local elementary school, and I, I don't remember exactly what state or, or county this was in. Um, but as the principal of an elementary school, I mean, this is how depraved. Our culture is rapidly descending into, and this is literally Romans 1 uh, as we are watching this unfold. And instead of being uh, angry, which we should have righteous anger, of course, toward evil and, and wrong, but instead of just having the feelings of anger or of depression or hopelessness, we always need to pull back and say, okay, big picture, what does the Bible instruct on how to live Christianly and live a robust Christian life no matter what else is going on in the world. And the Bible gives us very clear instructions. And if we look at uh, both First uh, Peter 2 and also Acts 5, and, and I, I want to talk about both of these uh, the, these verses together because I think it's very important as we look at Uh, Romans 13 as well, and we look at the purpose of civil civil government, which we talk about very frequently on this show, um, probably even more than the family government and the church government, because this is a political news of the day uh, show and how we can respond to the top trending headlines and all of that. Uh, We can't forget that the church and family government matter. And that is very important, how we live our Christian life within those two spheres of government and the institutions that God has ordained. But also in the context of civil government, which we uh, most often talk about, how we as Christians can respond even to an evil government that is completely antithetical to truth in most of its daily operations. And, and I think that first uh, Peter 2 really gives us a, a great view of living in a hostile secular world. And, and it says, starting in verse 11, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake whether to the king is supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, 
yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bond servants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. This is an important uh, segment of verses in First Peter 2, because submission to the government, even when we disagree or things that our founders would have termed uh, the the slight uh, daily infringements, um, things that are, are modest infringements on liberty or things that we disagree with, we submit ourselves to an institution that God has ordained. Why? For the Lord's sake. And th- this is what scripture is talking about, that we submit ourselves for the Lord's sake so that our conduct is honorable, so that we are not rebellious. We don't have this attitude of rebellion against a legitimate authorized authority that we know from scripture, Romans 13 and elsewhere, even going all the way back to Genesis 1, that God has ordained. And and so we have to, though, take that submission to government in context with Acts 5, which talks about um, and and is is talking about the early church and how the apostles um, and also the disciples were responding to the ordinances of men in their day. And so starting in uh, verse 26 in Acts 5, it says, Then the captain went with the officers. And of course, this is in context of, of the whole narrative. So when you say then, it means Something else came before. So read the entire counsel of God. But we're starting in verse 26. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, and this is including Peter, saying, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name, the name of Jesus? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. And man is capitalized, obviously referring to Christ Jesus. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exiled to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So this is one of the first instances in the new covenant after the death and resurrection of Christ that we see civil disobedience and we see an exercise of that. But we also see the justification because Peter did not answer saying, oh, we're sorry. We need to submit to any sort of ordinance that you've imposed. I'm so sorry. We will stop teaching the truth of the gospel of Christ. We, we will stop with our doctrine and we will stop bringing people into a saving knowledge of Christ. No. What did he answer? He said, we ought to obey God rather than men. And so we have to be very careful as Christians to be discerning that we don't on the one hand have an attitude of rebellion against legitimate authority and the institutions that God has ordained to restrain evildoers. That's the purpose of government, to restrain evildoers, to promote truth, restrain evil. But that we also are circumspect and discerning enough that we recognize when that legitimate institution 
is acting in an illegitimate way and to such an extent that it is asking you or me as a Christian to disobey God. So where are the lines in that? Well, this is the eternal problem between the church and uh, and the state, between the Christian, God's people, not the institution of the church, but the individual Christian, and, and sometimes the church as a whole, and the government's ordinances when the government is not submitting itself to the authority of God. And this is where we have to, as Christians, then understand how do we live in the midst of a secular society that is in America and in 2023 right now rapidly descending into utter godlessness and debauchery. Well, we have to stand firm on the eternal truth of the word of God. And we have to obey God rather than men, even when that may result in illegitimate punishment or persecution. We still have to obey God, knowing that he is the sole authority and that all authority is his and given by him to these institutions that he has ordained in a limited sense and that their only legitimacy is derived from God. But we also cannot say that every infringement or every ordinance of government is wrong simply because we in our humanity disagree with it. So this is where Christian discernment comes in and we should be praying every day. We should be listening to the Holy Spirit, and we should also be engaged in the Word of God every day so that we have God's law in our minds, renewing our minds daily, so that we can have discernment between what we just don't like about government and our humanity, and God calls us to submit to proper authority, and what government is asking us to do that we cannot submit to because God is the ultimate authority. The difference is legitimacy versus illegitimacy. And the only way we are going to distinguish between the two and have correct truth and discern, rightly divide truth from error, is to constantly have our mind renewed by the word of God and with truth. If we are just doing this out of how we feel, we will be rebellious instead of, as Peter said, we ought to obey God rather than men, but also, as he said in 1 Peter, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Be an active Christian everywhere in the world. We'd like to thank our sponsors, including Preborn. Preborn has rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day their network clinics rescue 200 babies' lives. Will you join Preborn in loving and supporting young moms in crisis? Save a life today. Go to preborn.com.